0: side of texas history has its place on the other side of texas justice rules the case they don't like it they don't love it they say we're all wrong but on the other side of texas hall's we roll on.
1: rolling along with all my friends glad that you're tuning in grinning ear to ear that you'd be with us again on another edition of the program broadcasting from the Racer Car Wash Studios Racer Car Wash voted Lubbock's best wash for 5 years running when you come into Lubbock or if you're in Lubbock you can go to racerwash.com to find one of 5 convenient locations for you as you're rolling around we need to get those other side of texas stickers out and let racer car wash see how many folks who listen to the program use them there are options but go to the best wash around guaranteed racerwash.com big show for you erica greeter houston chronicle one of the smartest if the not if not the smartest person in texas journalism be on with us and about uh 10 minutes from now and then 30 minutes from now Charles Foster Johnson the pastors for Texas children be checking on the program we'll talk with Greeter today about and this is a quorum reports headline identical bills filed in the house and the senate to cap property tax revenue at 2.5% after that, uh, over and above that, you would have to have a rollback rate election. Among other things, HB2 and Senate Bill 2, House Bill 2 and Senate Bill 2 would quote lower the rollback rate to 2.5% from the current 8% for all taxing units with more than $15 million in combined property and sales tax revenue that exempts a lot of rural texas but does not exempt the rural metropolis of lubbock texas still waiting for reaction on that front as reaction comes in to what this could do very interesting discussion to be had about the difference between 2.5 and 8 percent and how that coalesces and interfaces with Lack of money from the state for public school education, I've said before, and I'll say again here it's dazed and confused um the rates continue the appraisals go up, but the rates stay the same. A different way of quoting days and confused, where I believe Matthew McConaughey's character says, I get older.' and they stay the same Uh, uh, i don't apologize for that analogy but that's the confusion on the state front and a lot of headspace to take up that seems to be a leading issue of course dustin burrows out of lubbock house district 83 state representative now the chairman of ways and means committee is uh the author of hb2 be interesting to see co-authors on that bill and where they come from um i'm not going to be decidedly against or for anything i think that i need to get my mind around it and see what the real impacts are but i do promise you within the week to come that i will have a firm take on this 2.5 and what it means um to kick us off let's talk about brown water for a moment shall we could 2019 be the year texas legislators let liquor stores open on sundays your thoughts as we roll along 806-745-5800 on the text line that's 806-745-5800 if you'd like to share your thoughts with us and this is from the dallas morning news The Never on Sunday liquor store ban in Texas, a law on the books since 1935 when the Texas Liquor Control Act was passed in response to the repeal of prohibition, could be history. This may be the year Texans join residents of 42 other states who can, but I always appreciate a good who versus that because many would write here this may be the year that Texans join residents we're talking about people of 42 other states who many and kudos to the Dallas Morning News here for saying who instead who can buy vodka, rum, tequila and other spirits seven days a week. House bill 1100 to allow liquor sales on Sundays was introduced this week in the House by State Representative Richard Pena Raymond why can't he just be Richard Raymond a Democrat out of Laredo the bill looks to also add convenience for shoppers by extending store hours Monday through Saturday key provisions are these the bill allows liquor stores to open noon to 10pm on Sunday liquor stores would still be closed on new year's day thanksgiving and christmas the bill extends regular monday through saturday liquor store hours now 10 to 9 p.m by two extra hours a day new operating hours would be 9 a.m to 10 p.m with the exception of sunday It adds Sundays to the days that wholesalers are allowed to make deliveries to retailers. Christmas would be the only day wholesalers couldn't make deliveries, as the bill is now written. Now, what you need to know is that wholesalers run the show. Wholesalers and distributors run the show in the Texas legislature, and there's no doubt that they are going to be all behind uh, this bill i got no doubt about that that they would be behind the bill so you know it is a little bit of a pain if you want some want some bourbon on christmas or you want uh some bourbon to watch football to have it stored up and at your house and and let me just say this if you're a house where you don't have bourbon stored then you know i'm not going to teetotal you but if you're a bourbon drinker and you don't have any come sunday maybe you need to reevaluate your consumption of bourbon but by and large i'm i'm pretty ambivalent about this i think that um you want your liquor you should be able to get your liquor and if that means on sundays then that means on sundays i think that um texas is a little bit behind the curb i've always been shocked whenever i've gone to new mexico can you imagine the dream and somebody suggested to me this week that i write an ode to the allsup's burrito i think i'm going to do that but can you imagine the convenience now this is the convenience inconvenience that you're able to get a little Jim beam with your allsop burrito and that's always been shocking to me whenever i went to convenience stores in new mexico and they sell liquor in the store, in the convenience store. Now, admittedly, I've never had Jim Beam with an Alsace Burrito to my memory. I've had plenty of Coors Light, but, you know, it's America living the dream, raving on. And uh, it's, it's a good idea, at least an idea in theory, have Jim Beam and that burrito hey uh, gonna get in with erica greeter coming up after this break stick right with us good conversation coming up By popular demand, we have Erica Greeter of the Houston Chronicle. Erica, hey, can she come on more often? Can she come on more often? Well, so nice. We're giving the people what they want. Erica Greeter, I'm so
2: honored by that. Thank you to everyone who uh, demanded my my return.
1: (laughs) The um the accomplished author. Tell us the books that you've written.
2: I've only written the one this far. I'm working on another, but the first one I wrote is about, you know, about Texas, kind of why it is yeah, the way it is.
1: The big, big red, big, I'm, big
2: hot sheep and right. Yeah, um, I've read it. Yeah,
1: Sorry, you have read it.
2: I haven't read it since I published it. You know, I think it's like, I, you know, I'm kind of reluctant to read it again because I feel like it's. I would read it again and be so annoyed by, oh, I, you know, I phrased that so badly oh, or oh, I you know, there's a typo, you know, because you're on deadline and you're kind of, you know, working hard and so, I, I feel like it's like I'd rather just, you know, not read the text exactly, but. No one's no one sued me. I think it kind of holds up pretty well. It's a pretty um, it's a pretty good primer, I think, for people who are new to the state.
1: It, it's an excellent, like even in the introduction, the Sam Houston you never knew. Erica greger oh, uh, takes you right into Houston,
2: and I love that Sam Houston. Yeah, I mean, what what a hero! Yeah, what a hero first. It's so
1: funny that you say it because that you say it that way because people are like will ask me from time to time if i listen to podcast versions of the program if i go in and podcasts pretty successful um no i don't listen to it because i'll just sit back and think oh i missed that and i missed this and i got enough things to worry about and then whenever i do like a television thing i i don't hardly ever even watch those either because
2: yeah you know it's just it's kind of painful right Um, especially for me watching myself on television that's very painful it was like oh why did i you know why I'm making that face, or, you know, why am I speaking that way? But, um, but you know, I think when, when something is published and it's out there, I mean, it's good to hear constructive criticism, but it's it's also a great way to drive yourself nuts. Yeah. <laughs> you can't yeah. really fix the Let the me problem. ask <laughs> you
1: this, Erica. Do you feel like you're a better writer or speaker?
2: Well, I'm a really bad speaker. I mean, that, the question is, uh, I, I mean, I'm very, very disfluent, but what's interesting is that, um, you know, so when I started doing public speaking, talking to radio or TV, um because I published the book, and when you publish a book, you have to do you know TV and radio to promote your book. Mm-hmm. So I was really, really nervous. I mean, I'm just not a good speaker. Um, I had to give book talks and so on, and uh, I asked some friends for advice, and uh, one piece of advice I got that was quite good, because it was reassuring, was from a friend who's a linguist, and she said, you know, actually, in, in linguistics, like in, in studies, a certain degree of disfluency is considered a good thing in a speaker, because that sort of conveys um, candor and honesty and authenticity. And so that was kind of reassuring to keep in mind, although I probably have a a, an excessive degree of disfluency, um, but I, I have actually found that to be to be the case in my experience. If I go on a radio show or on a panel or on TV, I'll occasionally get an email saying you talk too fast or you know you mumble, which is is true. It's it's, it's totally true. Um, but also get emails from people saying, oh, you did a great job. Yeah, you know, thanks for representing us. Thanks for doing that. Um, and then I get invited back. So, I, I think that for me that was kind of helped me sort of get over the. Uh, the, the
1: the dread of uh of doing this kind of thing yeah i i don't have any friends who are linguists and well. <laughs> matter of fact whenever i ask syria a question it's you know i was in europe one time i was in amsterdam and ran into some folks from norway and it was right in the middle of the iraq evas- invasion okay. and they thought i was from australia and they introduced me to all their other friends european friends who were <laughs> wondering where i was from and at that time it wasn't real popular to be in europe and and to be from america and they thought that because of my accent my west Texas accent, accent. Okay. i was from australia i just rolled with it that's like, interesting yeah, from australia but- hopefully they won't ask me any questions i'll just talk oh. about kangaroos and and uh well
2: did you do you know anything about kangaroos and wild Do they have wild beasts in, uh, no, in Australia? No,
1: Wallabies. See, oh, now, wallabies. Na, see yeah, yeah. now you're Siri. Oh. I said wallabies. So
2: I <laughs> so did uh well, you know, I I can kinda of see that. There's sort of you know, I sort of think of Australia as like the uh, the Texas of the Commonwealth, right? Um so there's some cultural overlap there. Um but that's 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 funny.
1: Yeah, um, well, okay. So I need to get more linguist friends. That's what I just took out you of our first five at, minutes.
2: Find some attack, at, at right? They've got
1: linguist attack. Yeah, at yeah they've they got some. I'll ask yeah. them what's up.
2: Um, just, just email them. We'll be friends.
1: <laughs> this thing uh, today goes down at the uh, a big news conference. It's the big three: and Paul Bettencourt in the Senate, Dustin Burroughs, House mm-hmm. of Representatives, a two-point-five cap on is what's being proposed in legislation 2.5 percent cap on entities uh, 15 million dollars in combined property and sales tax revenue Mm -hmm. Uh, you're in houston tell us what tell us what responses you've heard today about this
2: oh that's interesting yeah i haven't really heard that much uh at the local level uh about the reaction so i don't want to Characterize. i there could have been responses that i haven't checked in on yet um but but rather than characterize the local response to it um why don't i ask you what you think of this announcement and i also am curious to know what you think of chairman burroughs because i I don't really know him well um but i I know you do
1: you know i've had my differences with the chairman and my differences have been that he wasn't effective over his first couple of terms um obviously the optics have changed if you're Mm. one of 149 not named dennis bonnen and you're at that table today then the optics have changed uh, yeah and if if
2: you're the chair of ways and means which uh, speaker bonnen used to chair himself
1: yeah so the effectivity argument i think is done with with burroughs now the conversation becomes how did you get into the chair and um and what legislation do you have in mind now i've talked with people in lubbock who are not enthused at all at the 2.5 cap rate and Mm -hmm. uh wonder what in the world we're thinking here and uh for this to I I think the response that I'm getting is this why did this roll out before the school finance issue because I think that we all recognize at least those of us who pay attention to Texas politics that the shortfall is cut is it's the school level and the state's funding of schools Mm -hmm.
2: Mm -hmm. so
1: why not have that in place before you put up the 2.5 cap because now it's 2.5 2.5 is what the big three want and it's what uh, a couple of leaders one in the senate and one in the house want mm-hmm. but what are you going to do and that's the question too if these caps are in place what are you going to do about schools well we're going to make up for that well how are you going to make up for it? i think the criticism i've heard thus far and i think completely valid is why didn't we address school finance before we rolled out because there are people of different purviews who see this in a see two things combined one urbans may be out of control in spending and two but uh, well i should say number one we're not funding public schools like we should Mm -hmm. 55 cents of every tax dollar is going out because uh, they continue to lower their commitment from the state level, and I know that we're interviewing you, but you asked me. But this is my response: is No, no,
2: no. I'm interested in your response. I'm, I'm, sorry, I'm your listeners, I guess, probably heard it before, but you know, I appreciate hearing it also. So. Well,
1: 55 cents every dollar, by average, is going to the independent school district, and that's because Austin's lowering its commitment, and but at the same time. Austin's saying that local entities are the problem, and local entities are saying that Austin's the problem. I think it would have been much more formidable to put up the school finance fix initially and then the 2.5.
2: And then, okay, so that's interesting. And so let me ask you this, too. I didn't watch the press conference this morning. Did did Betancourt, Senator Betancourt, speak, or did Governor Patrick speak very much at the press conference, or was it mostly uh, Chairman Bond? Right, Speaker Bonin.
1: It was mostly the governor, and then okay. Bonin, and then the lieutenant governor, batting back and forth to Betancourt, Court, and then some boroughs. Um,
2: okay. Did you get? Was there any sense you perceived of? Because they were, you know, they were sort of saying, "This is, you know, we all agree on this. This is, you know, this is the, the, you know, all three of us, you know, all five of us, uh, the House, the Senate, and the Governor. We were all on the same page. This is our plan. We're not going to be divided by the local governments." Um, was there anything you perceived that was? potentially an area of tension or contention between any any of them
1: not not on this i think it is school the assumption that the senate's going to be with with the house in the end on school finance which is certainly not the issue now now you still got dan patrick talking about teacher increases the money going straight to the classrooms and not the overhead of the school districts in the house. I think it's a fair characterization, saying no, the money needs to go into the school districts, and then dibble it out as it may.
2: Well, it's interesting because you know I, I I'd seen sort of a comment from at least one comment from Bonin saying this is a first step, and so it's a first step, and also it's part of a. It has to be. You know, this is kind of coming out as the as the fix before the school finance fix that they'll eventually come out with. Um, and I can understand why it kind of seems like we're doing like, like that's it's it's backwards to do the property tax reform plan first, um, but I wonder if the the reasoning for doing it first is to kind of establish like this is a consensus we've all agreed to, and then having sort of secured the agreement for that step of the property tax reform, if that makes it more politically feasible to uh, to to achieve the school finance fix uh that is necessitated by the logic of the school finance
1: fix but do you feel like the house has lost ground by coming in alongside the senate at this point on 2.5 percent and the house and look let's recognize this fact there are no co-authors to this bill yet okay so yeah there are no co-authors on either side but especially the house has the house given up too much on the 2.5 at this point and lost their leverage on against the senate on putting some five to six billion dollars in the public education
2: you know i just uh I, so, I don't mean to come on your show and sound like a dennis Bonin, you know a uh, fan club person um <laughs> but I, I probably will just sound that way when i come on your show I, I to me i thinking about this thinking about in 15 um just the way as chairman of ways and means at that point Bonin approached the property tax relief and uh uh franchise tax slash sales tax plans arrival in the House and Senate. Um, thinking about the way he approached the speaker's race itself, um, I, I just think I, 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 I would not, if there's a perception that the House has lost leverage, I would not assume that the House has actually lost leverage in any way. Um, I, I would possibly infer the opposite, that the Senate is being outfoxed by <laughs> people in the House who have thought about how to sort of, you know, um, arrange the argument. So that uh, the conclusion of the argument is sort of set in motion by the premises, which we saw start today.
1: So maybe Bonham pulls another lever, other than ways and means in the House, to concoct uh, a coup on public education dollars in the Senate. Is that what you're
2: saying? Yeah, it's, I, well, you know, I, I think it's possible, right? Because if you have, you know, Governor Patrick and Betancourt sort of having agreed to this proposal and Governor Abbott having agreed to this proposal... Um, and then there there's a need for something else that they might not be prima facie supportive of for school finance, um, it improves your leverage to say, well, we have to just, you know, bite this bullet or get this done if you've already got consensus on, on the 2.5 cap.
1: Yeah. And, man, I, in consensus, I think that we're a long ways. I've heard from lawmakers today. I've heard from other people. I think we're a long ways. I think they set it at 2.5 so they could settle out. Between 4 and 5.
2: Settle out, but then who's who's going to be... If, so they can settle it out, but then who's who's going to be pushing to revisit the 2.5, to push it to 4, four or 5?
1: Um, all those Democratic chairmen in the House.
2: Okay, so you think that maybe it's, you know, we've all agreed to this, but then the Democrats in the House are being, you know, mutinous or obstructionist, and we all know the Democrats might retake the House in 2020, so they have, you know, some some leverage themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we have to kind of, you know, reluctantly all agree to go to four, or four or five. Yeah, I think if that's if that's the plan, um, I, yeah, I, I guess I could see that. I mean, that, that's possible. But I think that I would, um, I, I do not see a reason to think that Patrick and Betancourt in the Senate um, have been able to appropriate some kind of leverage over the House, just uh, you know, by, by Um But this seems, but
1: let's take it back two years, Erica. And Mm -hmm. we know that Dennis Bonham was all on board with, as Ways and Means Chairman at that time, for the Senate's proposal and then to issue a compromise and to get it out. And people like Drew Darby said, no, we are not doing that. And then you had some other, and I remember at that time the governor promising to primary members of the Ways and Means who opposed this at that time.
2: Well, I think, and, you know, Bonham's made it quite clear since then that he does not support the governor primary or supporting primary challenges to Republican yeah. members of the legislature. Um, and I think rightly so. I think that, you know, we've we've certainly seen uh, some examples of that in the past cycle, and it was very, very strange to see. And I'm not sure what the governor was hoping to achieve, but I don't think he achieved it um, with those challenges. Um, but I think, if you you know, looking at 17, and, of course, since I was, uh, you know, I, I recuse myself from covering most of 17. I covered SB 4, and that was about it. Um, but I, I think that in 17, uh, I would understand everything Bonin did through the lens of him later becoming a speaker. So in 17, he's already positioning himself to become Speaker of the House, at which point he has the capacity to do more than he had the capacity to do as of ways and means, right? Um, so I think that probably 15 Bonin as of ways and means is a better is is a better sort of data set for figuring out what 2019 Bonin is doing.
1: Yeah. Okay, let's pivot right quick, because I'm sure if you're on here soon, we'll have the opportunity to um, break this down a little bit further. Let's get into these illegal voters. We've been on with Ross Ramsey this week, Bud Kennedy watching this unfold. It seems like it was bogus at this point. 95, what they made it sound like initially... Ninety-five thousand illegal voters in uh, two thousand eighteen participating, but really it was over the course of twenty years, and mm-hmm. that number continues to recede. What was the deal behind this effort, and how has it failed?
2: Well, I so th- this effort apparently they began working on this list in in March, right, which is significant for a couple of reasons. One of which is that the current Secretary of State, uh, David Whitley, was appointed to that role in December of last year. So in March of 2018, it was his predecessor, Rolando Pablos, who was Secretary of State. So this is not like Whitley's, you know, this, this, this list or kind of this project is not Whitley's brainchild, right? It came from, uh, I, I would think, you know, the administration. Um, and, at the, you know, of course, they've had this long-running concern about voter fraud and the integrity of our elections and so on. I would note that early March was also when the Texas primary was. And so, you know, you, you have perhaps a... a it's interesting to sort of think through uh, if Republicans who were thinking about facing a surprisingly competitive 2018 cycle uh, were, were taking an extra particular interest in uh, any kind of irregularities in voting records uh, in order to sort of you know to take a restrictionist view of uh, of, of, uh, of the franchise um, but as you say I mean it just seems completely bogus I mean it doesn't even make sense like the numbers it's like it's like the the numbers that are in error I don't even know how you find that, because there's got to be more... So basically, I mean, sort of, the reason why this kind of thing would happen is that if you're lawfully present in the country, um, then you can get a, a license to drive in Texas. And in fact, legally, you're required to get a license to drive in Texas if you want to drive in Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got, like, 90 days to do so, if, you know, once you're a resident in the state, if you came from a different state or a different... You, know, if you came from Canada and had a Canadian license. Um, but so basically, within the state, over the course of the past 22 years, there have been, like, far more than a 98,000... Driver's licenses issued to, like legal permanent residents, green card holders, and so on, um, and many of those people have since become naturalized. And when you're naturalized as a citizen, you can then vote, and you're not required to go back and get a new license. Um, so uh, just like on the numbers, I like, think at the state's population, like at, like we're 28 million people in Texas. I mean, it's there's of course going to be, I, it, I mean, to say that there's 58,000 people who were non-citizens when they got their license. But then subsequently voted. Uh, that that's not even suspicious. Um, and then of course the the mistakenness of the list has been coming out like since the second it was released. You know, there were apparently 366 people who were flagged as as non citizens in Declining County, like Waco, and literally every but single one of them. But over
1: 20 years.
2: Well, over 20 years. I mean, so over 20 years. Um, how many? Sorry, what was the question?
1: No, 360 people.
2: Three hundred sixty-six, right, and yeah. that's in McLennan County. And yeah, so another question too is like, I, I would think that if you're kind of doing this to see how many non, how many people were non-citizens that got their license and then subsequently voted, the the number of people who were naturalized in the state and then voted would probably be higher than that, right? So I'm not clear on if they've only gone to certain counties, if they've only looked at you know, the most populous counties, um, if they've only looked at you know uh, counties with a large share of foreign-born residents. Um, but but it's, it's just like a, it's a weird number because the number as initially presented by the Secretary of State was not accurate, obviously, but it's also not clear why it was inaccurate the way it was. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And I'm also not clear why they would release it this week and what they're doing, and of course, you know, even if this is just an innocent bungle of some sort, uh, or a well-intended bungle, you have the president now on Twitter, you know, a couple days ago saying, you know, kind of heralding this report as though it's proof of widespread voter fraud in Texas. And that's potentially consequential for, you know, the entire country, because, if you think about you know 2020, imagine the scenario if if Trump loses Texas, right? And he's already been told, or he's convinced now, there's voter fraud in Texas, and it's rampant. Um, that's that would fuel him saying, "Oh, this, you know, I, I didn't really lose the election." Mm. Um, and you know, I, I mean, set aside how you feel about Trump or not Trump or, or whatever. it is just that's not really conducive to a free and fair election. Uh, that could potentially Jeopardize our chances of a peaceful transition to power if Trump loses. I, 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 this is like pretty high-stakes stuff, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Um,
2: yeah. As you know, I was 18 in 2000, um, and I voted for Ralph Nader like a jerk because I was because <laughs> I was 18 and stupid. And I remember always, um, you know, when they called Florida and then uncalled Florida, and there was like two months of like arguing about hanging chads in Florida. And it was I, I just felt like such a jerk having voted for a third party even though I didn't vote in Florida, I voted in New York State. Um, and I didn't even like Ralph Nader. But so now I, I just kind of have since gone forward with the sense of whatever you do, like it's just you should not question the legitimacy of an election uh, unless you have very, very, very solid reason to do so. You should definitely not do it cavalierly. It's just that way madness lies.
1: Hey, where are you calling from? The office. So it's the Chronicle office.
2: Yeah, the newsroom. We're in the newsroom. Look at you. Yeah,
1: I hear them in the background.
2: Can you? Yeah, we're we're all hard at work reporting the news. Yeah,
1: I can hear yeah. him hard at work.
2: Have you been? Have you, Have you heard? I mean, have there been any? Have any West Texas counties been? I've been asked to check the records, or
1: I I need to look at that. I need to look at whether or not in. I, I'm I'm certain. I can tell you with certainty. Going to break some news to you for here. Okay? okay, at this point, that there have not been. We're going to queue up the news music. No, no accounts of voter fraud in Loving County. That's what I can't report <laughs> to you, right
2: now. Okay. Well, yeah. there were some uh,
1: like 40 people vote.
2: Although it wasn't a, there was a thing a while back, right? I don't know how long. It wasn't a 22-year span, but there were those people who moved. They were like libertarians from like New Hampshire who were like going to try to stage a hostile takeover of Loving County. Because <laughs> they were like, oh, there's only 40 voters there. We could just, you know.
1: It would, not, it would not be very hostile.
2: Uh well it wouldn't be very successful, I think. You know, there's a uh, Loving County did not uh, did not was not receptive or did not welcome the uh Yeah <laughs> to take takeover.
1: Well, she is Erica Greeter there with us at Houston Chronicle, a a great down the line voice for Texas at Erica Greeter, G R I E D E R on Twitter. Erica, the people Same. want you regularly, so I'm gonna try to make it happen.
2: I'd love to do that. Thanks again for having me on, Jay. All right. Thanks
1: to all your listeners. Have a great night. All right. You too. Uh, Erica Greeter there. Going to get into a quick break. Get our friend Charles Foster Johnson on. Change gears a little bit with you. And uh, your text as we roll along. 806-745-5800. He does lead a grassroots effort. Lots of times I say grassroots is fed by uh, bull feces, but in this instance <laughs> it's not. Uh, he is Charles Foster Johnson of uh, Pastors for Texas Children. Glad to have him on air now with us again. On air with us. And uh, Charles Foster Johnson, how are you doing?
0: I'm good, Jay. Thanks for having me back on back then. We had a good conversation a couple of weeks ago, and it's always good to be on your show and to uh, be with the good people of Lubbock, Texas.
1: Yeah, uh, so let's start off. We just talked with Erica Greeter about the press conference today, a 2.5% cap. Uh, If you exceed that at a city or county or, you know, whatever you want to call it uh, tax entity district uh unit uh you got to go to a rollback rate election i told her charles that the problem that i've heard thus far is that this rolled out before a school finance fix rolled out that's what i've heard from a lot of people is maybe the house lost a lot of leverage today uh going along with the Senate, something the Senate was completely behind in the last legislature. Your thoughts on what you saw roll out today?
0: Yeah, I think today was a show. Uh anytime uh you you know, anytime you have a conversation about limiting taxes, everybody's gonna say amen, amen, amen. But uh, we know the people of Texas also love their schools, Jay. And we know that uh the people of Texas are good rock-ribbed conservative folks who believe in local control. And I think once this gets all parsed out, once again, folks in Lubbock and Fort Worth and all the communities of Texas are going to say, hold on, wait a minute. Since when does big government tell local government what they can and cannot do? We own our schools. We forget that we own our schools. Every time Lubbock folks drive past the beautiful schools of Lubbock, Texas, you own those schools schools. Nobody in Austin does. Nobody in the legislature does. We do. And we get to set policy about the proper funding of those schools. That's why we are willing to pay property taxes. Now, we want the legislature to steward, be good stewards. It's a biblical principle. To be good stewards of those taxes, they haven't been. They've essentially used our property tax money that we thought all along is going for the suitable provision of our children's education to offset other budget items. Now, we're going to make sure, because of our grassroots efforts, they don't get to do that anymore. But the governor, instead of leading, the governor is only talking about tax caps. We cannot properly lead on this issue until we talk about school finance reform. It has to be done in the exact same breath. As any conversation on tax caps, and I'll just say one other thing, uh, 2.5 is a non-starter. It won't get the job done. Uh, maybe some kind of tax cap along about 5 or 6%, maybe. We're not crazy about that. We're not crazy about the legislature telling the people of Lubbock what they have to do. But a 2.5 cap, uh-uh, it's a non-starter. It won't go anywhere. I mean, I've I've been busy all day long with ministry stuff here in Fort Worth and really hadn't talked to the superintendents today, but I've been talking to them every day. Just got back from the Texas Association of School Administrators Conference. I've talked to 100 of them, of our key educational leaders, and including leaders from the Lubbock area. And 2.5 ain't going to get the job done. The governor knows it. The lieutenant governor knows it. And frankly, we're not sure what Speaker Bonin's up to. Oh, what do you mean? Well, like you say, it sort of it sort of compromises the House's leverage uh, to 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 negotiate proper funding for uh, for our schools. So, uh, you know, uh, Dennis Bonin is a very capable politician. He's been in the House a long time. Uh, He certainly is our friend, and we want to give him the benefit of the doubt, and we want him, you know, we want to allow him the opportunity to explain himself. But to come out with the governor who's really not shown leadership on school funding at all, and the lieutenant governor that really uh, has sustained a decade-long attack on public education, well, we knew they were going to come with a low number on a low tax cap number because they don't want our schools funded anyway. But for the speaker to sort of uh, Uh, sing kumbaya and get on this page today, uh, is a real surprise to everybody.
1: Hmm. Charles Foster Johnson, pastors for Texas children. So you agree with what I've heard thus far? School fix should have been rolled out before the 2.5 cap.
0: Exactly. Now, if they want to come out, you know, and dedicate a lot of, maybe, maybe the governor has new revenues up his sleeve and Politically, he wants to talk about a tax cap before he talks about a 1% sales tax increase or something. So, you know, obviously Governor Abbott doesn't call up a Baptist preacher uh, before he uh, uh, designs policy. But uh, it, I, it'd be very confidence-building for the educational community and the faith community and local community leaders, for our state leaders to have both topics discussed at the same time. And like you say, let's roll out the school finance plan before we talk about how we're going to fund it. And any kind of tax cap policy, you cannot have, we've said it forever, till we're blue in the face, you cannot have property tax reform without school finance reform, because the reason property taxes are distorted in the first place is because the legislature has failed in their constitutional duty to make suitable provision for public free schools. So the local communities had no uh, option, had no recourse, but to continue raising property taxes. So the only way to get property taxes under control is for the legislature to provide proper funding for our children's education. And Jay, you know, they're talking five billion dollars, needs to be a whole lot more than five billion dollars. Now, you know, will that be a good first step? Yes. If we do that again next session and the next session and the next, because we're a long way behind.
1: And so we you're saying up, not just $5 billion, this one, but into the foreseeable future. You better per. believe it. Yeah. Absolutely. Charles Foster Johnson, it's at pastors, the number four TX kids on Twitter, And if you're not on Twitter, just get a Twitter account and follow along, because that's where my main... I I don't know the last time I watched the evening news. I I just have a Twitter account, and I've got my own... If you want to go to my Twitter account, at J-A-Y-L-E-E-S-O-N, I've got my own group set up there, um, my own lists, and you can just subscribe to those lists and see what I see. Charles Foster Johnson, let's talk just a minute about uh... we've not talked to you since the kel seliger fallout now it seems like the tallest man in the texas senate is kel seliger that the in this is my own view the chairmanship of this made up committee agriculture um, agriculture committee in the texas senate and everybody knows anybody who's ever worked a turn row or driven down the turn row knows that the state the state's only job with agriculture is to keep its nose out of agriculture all the actions at the federal <laughs> level. Uh, Kel Seliger lost his seat on as chairman, and I think it was, a, in hindsight, this is my analysis, a pretty good trade, because now he's risen to be probably the most formidable senator in that chamber.
0: Yeah, I would agree with that. I, senator Seliger's just best of breed, and he's uh, he's your neighbor right up the road. He's a good friend to... Uh, Lubbock, uh, of course, he's from Amarillo, Midland, Odessa. Uh, his district runs just brushes right up against uh, uh, Lubbock Senate district. Uh, we've been in close touch with him, Jay, including today. I just got a message from Dr. Charles Luke, our co director, and Charles had a good 30 minute visit with Senator Seliger. He expressed his deep appreciation for Pastors for Texas Children, he is our friend uh... what let's tell our listeners what you properly and correctly mean but when you say he's the most powerful person in the senate maybe in the in the uh... legislature as a whole it requires nineteen votes to bring a bill to the floor of yeah. the senate. It's I've and heard it's
1: put, uh, just to interject, I've, there are, in the house there's a calendars committee and the calendars committee led by four Price on Amarillo, now uh, the chairman decides when something's going to come to the floor in the senate you got to have nineteen green at least they used to have green cards that they pass around and got nineteen votes for it's really the lieutenant governor say on when something comes to the floor it takes nineteen votes now kill Seliger can be the nineteenth vote to bring it to the floor or the thirteenth vote to stop it from coming to that's the
0: exactly court. right that's exactly right now and i want to clarify because uh I know a lot of uh, Lubbock folks and have a ton of friends like you in Lubbock, Texas, Jan. and I, having served Second Baptist Church for over 12 years. um, Kel Seliger has done nothing wrong. Uh, Some of the things that were reported that he said, he did not say. We have asked him directly. The things that were reported that he said, Uh, you know, indelicate by his own admission. But But, Ross
1: Ramsey came on the show yesterday, and just by virtue of you being Pastor Charles Foster Johnson, uh, I thought that Ross Ramsey made an important contribution in his column and said, look, it was not lewd, it didn't have sexual connotations, it could be qualified as crude. And that's a whole difference. I mean, who amongst us has not told another person to kiss our rear in public,
0: you know every i mean really, Jay and like I say, it might have been unfortunate and uh and and Senator Selzer has admitted that uh
1: but uh, no but I, mean, I don't all- think he I don't think he did i mean he was given the opportunity, and even whenever we went off air and I don't like to talk about things that I talk about personally with people, but I was like hey are you good with that and he said yeah i am good with that because what people don't understand is that sherry sylvester look if we're in this age of equality and it, whether that be race to race or gender to gender uh sherry Sylvester's a heavy hitter down there and if she were a man, she wouldn't be any more powerful because she's that shrewd and she's amassed the kind of political capital she has. But Kel Seliger had no apology for somebody, and I mean somebody, with political capital down there.
0: Well, the, here, here, let's cut through all that. I mean, we always want to speak politely uh, to people, and sometimes we don't. Uh, and I include myself, and anybody that knows me knows that. But the fact of the matter is that the values of Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick and the values of Kel Seliger and West Texas folks are very divergent. Uh, Patrick has launched uh, a, a multi-year attack on public schools. He was the one that spearheaded the $5.4 billion uh, uh, reduction in school funding in 2011 and only restored $3.4 billion in 2013 and then went all over the state saying that uh, all the cuts had been restored. Well, look, almost all isn't 60%. And he's, he spearheaded the movements for private school vouchers. It was his number one legislative priority last session. And so Kel Seliger has stood against uh, the defunding of our schools and the privatization of our schools, and he has incurred the ire of the lieutenant governor in doing so. And uh, Seliger stood its ground. He's not going to, he's the bravest guy in the legislature. And as you say, his power has been consolidated. And uh, if the lieutenant governor wants any of his legislation to come before the Senate, it'll it'll have to go through Senator Seliger's office.
1: Charles Foster Johnson, and those who, just Google Leeson and Seliger and um, Amarillo Globe News, Lubbock Online, and you'll be able to find exactly the context for what we're talking about uh, with Seliger's comments that ensued. I don't try to get people in trouble on this program. People come on, I give them the opportunity to speak, and um, Seliger was... Well, Jay, let me
0: say... If I may, let me say that we have uh, encouraged our network and the uh, Texans, the public education network to call their senator, their own senator, and demand that their own senator stand up for Senator Seliger with Dan Patrick. And, And Patrick's office is getting a ton of calls. We know that. And so I hope that your listeners will do that. Call all your own senate member and and demand that the lieutenant governor quit bullying the senate it's the wrong thing to do and let each senator represent his own district and that's called democracy and democratic open process and procedure and that's what we have not had with dan patrick
1: he is charles foster johnson uh, pastors for texas children Uh, Plenty to say there, and appreciate the opportunity to get you on again. It's
0: always a pleasure, my friend. God bless.
1: All right. We'll talk to you next time. All right. We're going to get off with Charles Foster Johnson, take this break, and get back in, set up the show for you tomorrow, and what's coming up? Good stuff. Wow. Always a pleasure to be here, hanging out with you. Some text to get into. We'll get into that and what's coming up as we close out the program, day. coming up. James, well, let's go to Karen first. Uh, within the Erica Greeter, what are you guys talking about the 2.5? I keep on hearing you talking about it. Just uh, Google house bill two senate bill two on google and then on the news just click on the news tab above and you'll get a rundown of what's transpired today with regards to the house and the senate putting together leaders from the house and the senate i should say a rollback rate election to 2.5 percent karen meaning that if Taxing entities cities, counties, especially go over two point five from the year before, then they will have to go to a rollback rate election uh, and that's only for entities with fifteen million dollars in combined property and sales tax revenue. James has a lot to say uh Judicial Watch reported it's old news that a study by Old Dominion of illegals voting suggested that there might be as many as 22 million many of whom voted in the usa given that the dems tricked reagan into granting amnesty did they trick him james like really post-mortem you're going to say they tricked reagan i don't think they tricked reagan but anyway uh, reagan into granting, granting amnesty to one million illegals in return for a border wall money james come on i mean Here's the guy who said tear down the wall, and you're gonna, in retrospect, say that Reagan wanted the wall. James, come on, man. I mean, wh- what are you doing? Uh, the Democratic plantation about illegal voting numbers because our democracy is at stake. Uh, listen, this is why I tell people all the times. I'm a snake in the grass. I don't sound initially I cannot sound very smart then I can put my words to paper get behind a microphone and handle my weight with anybody um, but part of why I took up the radio and uh, took up column writing in some some well respected publications is because I didn't want to be a crazy man reacting against crazies on social media and that's Why I do what I do, golly. Um, I have something to say tomorrow. Dante's Inferno, if you've read it, the ninth circle of Dante's Inferno, the highest circle, or lowest, however you look at it, is treachery. And uh, ProPublica has a piece on how OxyContin producers are now putting together OxyContin recovery so making profits on the front end and the back end and uh, that is treachery and i've got some things to say from this side of texas about that uh for this edition of the program I want to thank erica greeter houston chronicle charles foster johnson texans for our pastors for texas children coming on the show i I'm not going to go home. I'm not going to get home anytime soon. I've got basketball practice tonight with the 11-year-old daughter. Uh, but uh, great family, nonetheless, to go home to afterwards and maybe a quick bite to eat. Um, so we've got to get home. Until next time. Ravon, buddies. Ravon, we'll see you in next edition of The Other Side. Sorry for all those texts we couldn't get into. We'll try to do it tomorrow as we've got uh, Daniel the digital millennial guru is going to be in the studio with us and talk about uh, his thoughts on various things We'll get into that opioid production and recovery hell that it is. Next edition of Other Side of Texas. Thanks for tuning in telling friends that you hang out here on the other side for for the program and the guests. Jay West Texas Leeson signing off. We'll see you next edition of Other Side of Texas.
0: Us. Shipwreck on the mountain, all the outlaws. It's who we want to be. Barely up
1: and just make it, and two step over.